Uh, have you guys ever watched one of those uh, makeover shows on TV? You know, where they, all right, we got one. You know, where they take someone and they give them a new outfit or a new wardrobe to wear. You know, apparently Katie's watched one of those. Anyone else ever watched one of those? Okay, well, I haven't, um, but what I understand um, is uh, that these shows, what they do is they, they take someone and they give them this set of clothes that is drastically different than what they were previously wearing, you know, and they give them this new wardrobe, and then all of a sudden, their whole life has changed, right? <laughs> Like, all of a sudden, everything is different. They're ready to take on the world. They're going to magically get the job or, or magically get the, the girl or the guy or whatever, you know? Like, it's all about making sure that they, they put on the right outfit to face life. Well, we're beginning a new series this morning that we're calling All Dressed Up. And we're going to be looking at a passage out of Ephesians chapter 6 where the Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he kind of serves as a wardrobe consultant, right? <laughs> Although with Paul, this is not an outfit that is comprised of Gucci or Armani or Adidas or Coach, any of those things, right? With Paul, this is a very different outfit that he is focused on, which he refers to as the armor of God. On Friday, our son Ethan, he, uh, he had his first baseball practice for the upcoming season. And so with that, we've had to begin shopping for and looking for different pieces of his uniform. Aaron and the kids spent a good time of yesterday morning doing that, going to different stores. And, and because he needs the things like the right pants. He needs a, you know, the, a special belt that's colored you know a certain color and he needs uh, special socks and he needs cleats and he needs a glove and a, a hat all of these things are necessary before he takes the field as a baseball player in the 9 to 12 division of the Indian River County Recreation Department League right <laughs> he needs all of those things before opening night now similarly you and I we have a uniform or an outfit, so to speak, that is essential for us to suit up in as we daily take the field in our lives as followers of Christ. Now for sure, as we think of the imagery of a suit of armor, it may be a little lost on you and I. I mean, how many of us see people walking around in chain mail every day or carrying a, a sword or a shield? It's only if you go to a medieval fair or one of those comic book conventions, right? And if that's you, we probably need to talk a little bit later, okay? <laughs> but you know, not many of us uh, are, uh, you know, see the suit of armor, uh, on a regular basis. It's not something that we all have a frequent sight of. But when we take this back to where Paul was and where he's writing from, this, this image would have at least somewhat been familiar to his audience. And, and it may have even held a great deal of depth within the imagery that he is using here. See, Paul, in, in using this description, of the armor of God, not only would he have potentially brought to mind this visual of the, of the guard that stood watch over him while he was chained to them and imprisoned and, and writing this letter, but also some of the imagery used here within the armor of God 
quite possibly uh, drew on Old Testament references as well, primarily within the book of Isaiah. And so in using this picture of a suit of armor, Paul connects the readers of his letter in a way that would have been timely for them and, and would have potentially been steeped in historical scriptural significance. Now in the coming weeks, uh, we're going to be digging into these various pieces of armor that Paul uses within this passage. And as we do, my hope is that the, the important imagery of this armor is not going to be lost on us just because we don't see it on a regular basis. Uh, it may even be helpful for us throughout the series to occasionally draw some contemporary lines towards our everyday articles of clothing, how we get all dressed up. It, it's, it's one of the reasons that we've used some of the, the, the clothes and the, the items on uh, the poster and the graphics for this series is so that we can perhaps more readily picture ourselves daily suiting up and navigating the battles of our lives. Now, before we get to any of these individual pieces of armor, though, I think it is important for us to lay a little groundwork, so to speak. And so this morning, as we start off this series, what we're, what we're going to do is we're, we're, we're simply going to look at the first couple of verses of this passage here in Ephesians 6, uh, because there are a few things here that are, I think are critical to this series and to our discussion uh, uh, surrounding the armor of God. The first is this. You and I, as followers of Jesus, have been enlisted into a battle. Now, that may seem pretty obvious. After all, we're talking about a suit of armor. But nonetheless, it needs to be stated right off the bat because we need to be reminded of this on a daily basis basis we are in a battle paul says this in verse 10 he says finally be strong in the lord and in his mighty power put on the full armor of god so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So Paul, in this passage, he first says, put on the full armor of God. And then he says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, the, the term here for struggle, the Greek term that is used, it's pale, and what it points to here is a wrestling match. It is hand-to-hand -hand combat. You know, that word struggle, it is this picture of physically grappling with an opponent, of being up close and, and, and locked into this battle. And so Paul uses this, this wrestling imagery here. And in addition to that, Paul also, later on in this passage, as, as, as Bruce read for us, he, he gets into these tools of military engagement, both offensive and defensive tools. You know, he, he talks about a shield and a sword and a, and, and a belt and, and shoes and, and, and a helmet. And, and with all of this imagery, both the wrestling and the military tools, what Paul is doing is he's acknowledging 
that we're locked in a battle. That we are in the midst of a fight. Now this is not a foreign concept when we look at the other writings from Paul or really throughout Scripture. The Bible's clear in its acknowledgement that you and I, as we, are, we come to follow Jesus, as we are seeking to, to, to live into that, that we are in the midst of a cosmic conflict. Uh, but Paul says here, he says, there's something we need to be reminded of about this conflict. It's a battle that is not with flesh and blood, but rather with rulers and authorities and powers, powers and spiritual forces of evil at work in the heavenly realms. Now this is important. Because what Paul is saying here is that the fight that we are in is much bigger than what you and I can see. It's much bigger than that. I, I was watching a, um, a video from uh, Priscilla Shirer earlier this week. And uh, she was telling about this uh, time that she was at a trunk and treat with one of her young children. Anybody know what a trunk and treat is? It's it's uh it's the uh, you know what's what when a church around uh, around the end of October they uh, they 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 get it you know in a parking lot and they have everybody come up with their cars and then they open the trunk and they have a game in there for all the kids to come around and play and and, and basically load them up with candy and send them home right. And so that's the kind of the goal of this, right? So, so Priscilla Shire, she's there with, her, with one of her young kids, and there's all these games going on. They're playing these games, but there's one game that has the longest line. Every kid wants to play this game. And what it was is they had set up this pickup truck, and in the back of the pickup truck, they had this platform that was covered with fabric, but there were holes in this platform. And so the kid would, would, would climb up this ladder and get in the back of the truck, and they'd be given this soft mallet. And every now and then, out of one of those holes, a little puppet would pop up. And the kid was, gonna, was trying to hit the puppet before it went back down. And then another puppet would pop up. And it's just a big whack-a-mole game, right? They're just, you know, the kids are loving this. They're like, boom, boom. And so Priscilla and, and, and her young boy, they're, they're, they're waiting to play this. And she says, in the midst of, of their waiting, there's a, another uh, mom and, and child behind them. And the child is just, he's, he's, he's kind of losing it. And, and he said, she, she said, we're, we're kind of laughing because here he is, he's, he's going, you know, I don't, I don't want to be here in this line. Why do we have to be here in this line? Why do I have to wait? Well, can't you just wait here, Mom, and I'll go play the other games, and then I'll come back when you get to the front, and then I'll play this game. And then he launches, and he's like, why are we even going to play this game? What's the point of this game even? And, and you know, and Shire, she's just laughing. They're like, we're having a field day just listening to this little boy talk about this. And she said, and then, before anybody knew what was happening, out of the corner of my eyes, we, we, we saw this, this flash of a little five-year-old run up to the truck and grab the piece of fabric that was covering this game and yank it down. And all of a sudden, we saw three people with puppets on their hands sitting underneath the platform. And she said, we laughed, you know, we, we laughed about this, but it, it, it provided this great reminder and illustration that there's more going on behind the fabric. You know, there's something else that's going on. And I think that that is such a good picture for us to be reminded of as well, is that there's something going on beyond the fabric. That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying you're, the, the battle that you're in is not at the flesh and blood level. It's going on. It's, it's so much bigger than that. There's something beyond the fabric. You know, one of the, the reasons for, uh, for, for this series and this passage of Scripture and, and why it really stood out to me is that you know, I was spending uh, uh, some time in prayer recently and just, and just asking God, where, where do you want us to go next? 
Where do you want us to go as a congregation? Where, like, what, what do you have for us? And, and, and this, is, this is a passage that really just stood out to me. And, and one of the reasons is that I was reminded as I was you know, kind of praying through it and going through it that so many of the conflicts or the problems or the issues that we come against on a regular basis, we can have a tendency to boil them down to a purely material level. And, and, and when, when what we're up against is so much bigger, there's something behind the fabric. Pastor Bryce Morgan, he said this, he said, when we don't recognize that there are spiritual forces of evil at work against God's work through the church, we can easily find ourselves blaming other people, politics, and programs, and making our fight an earthly battle of words, finances, or egos. God wants to constantly remind us that this is a spiritual battle. And, and, and that's what Paul is saying here. He says that we're, we're not battling flesh and blood. But, but, you know, sometimes I think we can be easily fooled to think that that's exactly where all of the issues are and where they need to be fought. Now, now listen, this does not absolve us from our responsibility uh, and, in responding to temptation and making our own choices. But what happens is when we bring everything down to a, a human or material level, we can turn all of our focus towards the wrong battlefield. And I think that that is something that we need to, to, to be reminded of and, and, and is helpful for us to think about is not only the nature of the battle that we are, are in and the fact that we are in a battle, but also where that battle is being fought. In the book of Ephesians, Paul spends a great deal of time focused on the everyday matters of our lives as believers and as the church. He, he touches on things like our marriages. He, he touches on our families, you know, how we parent. He, he, he talks about our relationships uh, with, with other believers, the way that we care for one another, the, the way that we use our words, the way that we forgive one another, the way that we encourage one another. The, and this is the everyday stuff of our lives. And then he says at the end, finally, suit up for battle. Arm yourselves because you're in this great spiritual battle. Uh, Kevin and I, we were, we were talking about this the other day and kind of talking about this, you know, the, the book of Ephesians and, and this passage and, and, and how these things, all the, the, the everyday things of life, are, that's where the battle truly is fought. You know, it's, it's not just those times where we, we, we go to our devotions in the morning with our cup of steaming coffee, you know, and, and, and our hearts are quieted. It's not as we come in here together uh, for, for worship. It's not just as we attempt to, to, to sit down and meditate on the Word or, 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 or spend time in prayer. The enemy would love us to believe that. But it's dangerously false. Yes, the battle is there, but, but, but the enemy is actively seeking to take down the followers of Jesus by any means necessary and to destroy the church by any means necessary. And that involves hitting us in the seemingly everyday occurrences of our lives. That is perhaps the primary ground where the battle is being waged for our hearts and our souls. It's in the ordinary trenches and everyday foxholes of our lives, our work our family, our relationships with others, our friendships within our community, that is where we either take ground or we give it back to the enemy. 
you and I, we're in a battle. Every day. Every day, we are in a battle. And so that's the first thing that I think is helpful for us to be reminded of. But the question comes that if we're in a battle, who is our enemy? What is the identity of our enemy? And that's the second question I think we need to kind of tackle or, or struggle with, if you will. Paul here in this passage, he names the enemy right off the bat. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, you and I, and, and, if, and, and if you're here and you're, you're not a, a follower of Jesus, this, this, this may be good for us to, to think about. But you and I, no matter where you are, we may have a hard time envisioning the devil at times, right? The church that Paul was writing this letter to would not have had as much of an issue. There was a prevalence within the city of Ephesus of occult interest and demonic activity. We see it recorded in Scripture. There was a prevalence of this. And so there's not a whole lot of convincing that would have been necessary for them to, 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 uh, to not only uh, know of the reality of Satan, but also believe in the, the, the power and the danger there. But see, in our culture, in our modern world, it's a, it's a different story. In our age of science and technology, having the answer to everything, Satan gets a pass. He's ignored. He's written off as a myth, a fiction. You know, we, we, we've done a really good job of making the idea of Satan's existence seem either implausible and a myth of a bygone era, or forming him into an almost cartoonish character that wears red tights and carries a pitchfork and has horns on his, on his mask, Right? And for sure, it's easy enough to take lightly a, a figure that's been painted as such. I mean, it's, it's almost like he's the, uh, the punchline of a joke. But look around us. Who of us can deny the reality of evil in our world? It is so evident. Whether in, in our history or, or in our present age. I mean, the horrors of the Holocaust. Regular mass killings human trafficking, genocide. I was reading a story in the AP the other day about the Tigrayan people. And it's this whole ethnic group in the Sahara that others have, have, have tried to wipe completely off the face of the earth. And there's all of these horrors that have been per perpetuated against them. And this whole ethnic group is, 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 is being wiped out. And it's sickening. You look at that and you go, yeah, the evil one is real. There's evil in our world. And we need to recognize that. We need to recognize that. Now, there's plenty of Scripture that we can dig into surrounding the nature of the enemy. But to be real honest... I'd rather not give them a whole lot more billing than necessary. But on the same token, I don't think that we should ignore him altogether because I think both of those responses would be exactly what he would like. 
either for us to be so consumed by a focus on the demonic or ignore it all together, you know? And neither of those responses are healthy. You know, because you get some who's like, you know, they get so wrapped up in, in focusing on the enemy and their, and their lives become so wrapped up in that. And here's the thing. The Bible is not the story of the enemy. The Bible is the story of God. And, and, and at the same, on the same token, the, the Bible is clear that there is an enemy. So we, we don't want to just discount it and, 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 and not focus on it whatsoever. I, I really like what J.I. Packer he wrote about this. And this is similar to the things that I've read from, uh, from C.S. Lewis and others as well. But he said this. He said, He, Satan, should be taken seriously. For malice and cunning make him fearsome. Yet not so seriously as to provoke abject terror of him. For he is a beaten enemy. Satan is stronger than we are. But Christ has triumphed over Satan. And Christians will triumph over him if they resist him with the resources that Christ supplies. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And the reality is that we do face a very real and a very powerful opponent. Far too powerful, quite honestly, for us to take on in our own strength. But he is a defeated foe. Our enemy has an expiration date plastered on him. Praise be to God. But still, this side of heaven, we have an enemy. It's an, and it's an enemy that Paul says is scheming. You know, it doesn't just come at us directly. You know, how do you scheme against somebody? You go around them. You start looking at their habits, right? And, and you start thinking of ways that you can best take somebody down and, 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 and bring their demise. You start, you start going, well, well, maybe I'll attack their kids. Maybe I'll attack their, their spouse. You know, maybe, maybe I'll set this up as, a, as an attack on their character. You know? To scheme is more than just to come directly at somebody and attack them. It's to, it's to, it's to be devious and, and to devise these, you know, these, these plans. And that's what Paul says the, the, the enemy is all about. He's seeking ways. He's scheming ways to thwart the purposes of God in this world and in our lives. He is a, a tempter, an accuser. He is the father of lies. And he is bent on our destruction. And he is bent on tearing down the church. Now, having said all this, we're not without hope. We are not without hope. You know, all of this we've covered so far, the reminder that we're on a battlefield, that we face a real yet unseen enemy, hopefully underscores this final point, which is that you and I, we need strength for the battle. And here's the great news. It is readily available. It has been provided for us. Look at the first couple of verses of this passage. Verse 10 and the first part of, of verse 11 where Paul writes this. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Here's what I think is so helpful for us to understand. The strength that we need for the battle is not our own. The, 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 the strength has already been provided to us. It is not our own strength. Paul says, be strong. Where? In the Lord. Not in yourself. Not be strong in Ted. Not be strong in Aaron. Not be strong in Hatiel. Don't be, be strong in the Lord, he says. You know, 
which should make it clear that the strength that we need is not our own strength. It is the Lord's. But how often do we try and live our life according to our own strength? It's an easy trap for us to fall into, but if you bend down that path before, you know that it always leads to a dead end. Finding our strength in the Lord means remaining connected to Him. And as such, we are strengthened with the strength, Paul says, of His mighty power. We're strengthened with the strength of God's mighty power. You know what he says earlier in this book? He says the same power that rose Christ from the grave, right? That's that's His mighty power. That's the strength that we are strengthened with. Why would we ever attempt to live our lives under our own strength when we have the mighty power of God Himself available to us? You know, it's like signing up to, uh, to, to, to race in the Indianapolis 500. And, and, and then you, you, you come to the race in, in one of those little power wheels that a five-year-old rides around the neighborhood. You know, one of those little plastic ride-ons. You know, instead of, instead of a Formula One race car. Why in the world would you do that? You know? But, 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 but it, it should be an easy choice that, that we would desire God's strength and it, and it is empowering. But so often we're riding around the neighborhood on a little plastic jeep you know with a fake walkie-talkie <laughs> do you realize how ridiculous that is but we do it we do it all the time the reality is when we choose when we don't choose to fight the battle and the strength of the lord and we attempt to go on our own we open ourselves up as easy pickings for the enemy we open ourselves up to sin We open ourselves up to believing the lies of the enemy, to living to a different story than that which God has provided for us to live to. And the picture that Paul uses here of us doing that, of living within the strength of the Lord, of taking on His strength, is, is, is of our getting dressed up in the outfit of the Lord. The armor of God. You know, Notice again, the suit of armor is not our armor. You know, it's not Brian's armor. It's not James' armor. It is the armor of God. Now, over the, the, the course of this, this, um, the, these next weeks, we're going to dig into what Paul has in mind as he writes about these different pieces of, of armor. And I would say that as we do that, we do have a role to play in all this. Although it is the strength of the Lord and it is the armor of God, we're the ones that are being called to put it on. You know, we are called to put it on to get all dressed up and suited up for battle and to stand firm in it. And, and here's the thing, the language that is used here, it's not just individual in nature. This is written to the church. This is corporate in nature. And we have a tendency to make the instructions in Scripture about what I do in my own life. Like, you know, like I, I, well, I'm suited up. I hope you are too. But, you know, at least I've got my suit on, right? At least my armor is taken care of. And for sure, there's a need for us to suit up in our own lives. But this is corporate in nature. Uh, uh, you know, as the, the, the temptations to live and act counter to the will of God are brought to our doorstep by that scheming enemy together 
We need to stand firm in the strength of the Lord and stay fitted up in the armor. That is our call as followers of Jesus and as His church. And as we do that, we have a mighty King who fights for us. One who we can know and trust has already won this war. One who at the cross defeated the enemy and the powers of darkness and as such they're battling on borrowed time. Again, our enemy wears an expiration date. And that is great news. That is such gr- and, we, and we need to hold on to that. Again, I think it is so easy for us to get all caught up in, 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 in who we're battling and, and, and the war that's going on and not not remember daily that that's already been won for us. And yes, we are fighting a battle daily. But, 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 but the strength that we need and the strength that we need to fight that has been provided to us. But the war has already been won. And we're on the side of the victor. Amen. And we're going we're to come to the table this morning uh, together. And as we do, we have a real opportunity to reflect on that victory. To reflect on the victory that we have it through, through Christ's body broken and His blood shed for us. We have an opportunity to be reminded of and, and thank Him for continu- His continuing presence in our lives. And um, before we come to the table, I want to do this. I want to suggest that, that, that we take an opportunity, each of us in our hearts and lives, ask ourselves and ask God, is there a place where we may have allowed the enemy free reign? Are there relationships that we've allowed him to poison? Are there patterns counter to the will of God that we've taken on in our lives? Are there footholds, as James says, that we've allowed to be set up Is there sin that needs to be dealt with and confessed to our Lord? And so I'm going to invite Caleb to come forward and whoever else is going to be helping to to lead this. But what I would like for us to do is just to have some time to silently deal with those things and ask those questions of ourselves and of God to allow God to search our hearts and for us to, to, to get right, so to speak, with God before we come to the table. And so we'll have a, a, a time of just silent reflection on that for you to, to, to bring those things to God. If you don't have elements for, for communion, you can get them in the back or come up here during this time. And then uh, after we've had a little bit of time to silently contemplate this, I'm going to invite Caleb to sing, and then we'll come to the table together after that.